0: Well, good morning. I uh, thank you for bearing with me last week and um, seeing me in a not very good, good uh, shape. I was not feeling good at all, but woke up Monday morning and life was great again. Um, it was awesome, and so uh, thank you for the prayers. Um, uh, feeling much, much better this week and excited about uh, what God has to do. I want to stop just a second, and uh, uh, before we dive into that and. Um, uh, just acknowledge that uh, a group of our women are not here this morning. Um, they're not mad at me. They're not mad at the church. They've gone to San Antonio for the Women of Joy Conference, and uh, um, from the reports that I'm hearing, they've had a great time. Uh, they'll be traveling back today, so keep them in your prayers. Um, it is, uh, 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 it's, it's nice to get away. If you've never been to a conference like that, your world has changed um, because uh, it's just on a different scale, and a different scale, and, and uh, uh, the, the The words that are spoken there, the the things that are taught, um, I truly believe God ordains those and has a has a hand in those, and uh, um, and and you remove yourself from all the distractions of your regular day to day life, and you get to go and just immerse yourself in that. So if you've never been to one of those, I encourage it. Um, We're constantly looking for um, opportunities to go do that, so that you can carve out a little bit of time in your busy life to do that. Um, and, uh, and we recognize that that's a struggle. Um, and so we're actually uh, having some conversations about how can we bring something like that here um, so that we don't have to um, uh, travel very far, but, but we can bring that here for the Mason community. Um, so uh, on, on a different scale than what they've been experiencing um, this weekend. So I want to I take a moment and thank our worship band. They did a great job this morning. Uh, but, I want to really key in on if you notice we had two of our high school students were leading us in worship this morning, uh, Lauren and Hannah, and they do a great job and so thank you. I saw them in the back. I thought they snuck out. but thank you all very much they didn 't know I was going to do this um, honestly i didn 't know I was going to do this until I was sitting there and thinking about the message that I have uh, for you today and, and it just kind of ties together for me a lot because we 're in the middle of our all in series and the whole theme of this series is going all in for God and and what does it look like if we give our lives fully and wholly to God and and, in all aspects and and how can that change not only ourselves but can it change our church and our community um, and change the world beyond that and it's really hard in as an adult in today's world to get a picture of what that looks like and I want to tell you That the easiest way to see that is to look at the teenagers of today, which is the most foreign statement many of you have ever heard me say. Because when you hear that teenagers are to be examples and we turn on the TV or we, you know, hear other people's ideas and we never truly experience what it's like to be around a teenager in this generation, uh, we're misguided. And I've had the privilege over, you know, for for almost 20 years, was able to work with teenagers on a daily basis, both in the, the church setting and in the school setting. And what I've seen is a shift in that time. I started working with teenagers when I was 18, 19 years old. And uh, and and when I was just out of high school and, and we were really like, we thought we were spiritual, we'd have these great... Great emotional spiritual moments at church camp or at a disciple now weekend and, and we'd come to church on Sunday mornings and we'd come to church on Wednesday nights and our lives really didn't match it the rest of the time we were just just living uh, uh, a couple different lives and 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 our experience at at church was was all about emotion it was about having fun it was about how many people could show up and and don't get me wrong I think having a lot of people is a big deal the reason I think having a lot of people is a big deal because that means more people can hear the name of Jesus Christ preached. That wasn't our intent. We just wanted to be the biggest and the best. And, uh, and I've seen a shift in that over the years. And what I see now is I see teenagers that at a very young age are giving their lives wholly to God. And they don't fully understand all the aspects or all the components, all the theological doctrinal things that need to be taught. But they know Jesus is special. And they give their lives to him. So much so that uh, this past Wednesday morning, we had 30, 35, 40 students get out there at 7.30 in the morning to stand around their flagpole and pray for their school. Amen. And I thank Dennis Cano for, for organizing that. Um, but, to, but to see that, to see you're running 100 people at FCA every couple of weeks now, um, which is awesome. Young Life kicked off this past week. We've got 40, 45, 50 junior high kids on a Wednesday night here we've got um, another 20 or so that are coming to a high school Bible study on Sunday nights and these kids are learning what it means to follow Jesus and they don't fall victim yes they experience the temptations that we all experience and they've got a whole new set of temptations because I if you're my age you did not have Instagram Snapchat TikTok any of that stuff you didn't even have a, a, a phone if you did it was a brick and it cost you like 50 cents a minute. They've got a whole new set of temptations. And what we're seeing in research and statistics is even with those temptations, even amongst all the things of the world that are around them, they're saying no. There, there's, a, there's a purity movement among teenagers that is completely opposite the purity movement when we were kids. If you're my age, we went through that generation of true love weights. And we had to have a whole ceremony to make a pledge before God that we were going to um, wait until marriage uh, to have sex. And we've got kids today that they don't have to have that ceremony. They just decide, I'm going to follow God with all my heart, and that's not what he wants from me, so I'm not going to do that. And it spreads out into other areas as well. And so it is so cool. And not only that, are they living their lives for Jesus? We then start to see them making sacrifices for Jesus. And you've got a whole movement of kids that are saying, you know what? I'm to forego a year of college and I'm going to go on mission. Or I'm going to give up that summer internship for my career, and I'm going to go to the other part of the world and share Jesus with people. And, and they're rising up, and we see our colleges and our universities and our seminaries are full of this next generation saying, "You made our world bad, and we're going to fix it because we're going to proclaim the name of Jesus." And so as I was thinking about that this morning, because today's topic, when we go all in, is I'm going to talk about relationship goals this morning. And I was thinking about how bad my generation did relationships growing up and how I see teenagers doing it a little bit better today. Because there's still issues, don't get me wrong, but I feel like they understand life a little bit better than us it's weird it's not right it's foreign but I'm so proud of them I'm so proud to see that do that see them do that because I think it could be an example and if you don't understand what I mean we've got a whole bunch of teenagers here grab them and go have coffee with them go have they like coffee by the way um uh have coffee with them go take them to lunch and just spend time with them and learn about them and their generation and why they make the decisions they make and why they, they have decided that, you know, for me it was like, oh, my youth pastor just talked about this, so I'm going to read this. And now I see teenagers whose Bibles are completely falling apart because they're in the Word so much and have journal after journal after journal because they just want to soak it in. And they don't just want to soak it in. They want to be involved and in, in charge and leading in areas that we can only imagine. And so they go all in. And so today we're going to talk about relationship roles. And I want to start with a phrase that I said a couple of weeks ago. I actually took two, I'm going to take two th- definitions of the church that I said at the very beginning of this series, and I'm going to combine them. And I'm going to combine them because this is what I believe that First Baptist Mason is becoming. And First Baptist Mason is becoming a community that knows Jesus intimately and proclaims Jesus Confidently. And that's what I see God at work here doing is we've got a group of people that are wanting to dive closer and deeper in to know Jesus intimately. They're gonna go all in in learning and knowing about Jesus. But then they're not just gonna sit there in that moment, but they're gonna turn around and take that knowledge that they've gained and the heart change that God is giving them and they're gonna proclaim Jesus confidently. And I see that in teenagers everywhere. I had the privilege of going on a mission trip with about 18, 19 uh, teenagers a couple years ago, and I watched them all individually share the gospel with people. And I was blown away because when I went on mission trips when I was younger, it was like, how many roofs can we roof in a week? And these kids were like, how many people can we share the gospel with? And I think if you talk to our students today, you would find that. And they find that because they've discovered what it means to have a relationship with God. When I share my testimony, when I share my story, I'd say I got saved when I was nine years old, but it wasn't until I was 16 years old that I fully discovered what it meant to have a relationship with God. I discovered that, but it still took time for me to get to that point. I see our teenagers discovering that and figuring that out a whole lot quicker because for many of them, this relationship with God is the only thing that is a foundation for them in their lives because the world is really messed up so how do we go all in with our relationship how do we get our relationship goals to line up with what God has in store for us how do we do that well I want to stop and I want to pray that God would impress upon all of us how three different types of relationships in our lives can make that impact of being all in for Jesus let's pray Father, I thank you for our teenagers. I thank you for the things that they are doing to honor you and to glorify you and to grow closer to you. Because what I see is they are going to impact our world. And the reason I see that is I see this generation rising up, this awakening rising up among our generation. And I see the enemy trying to tear it down in every possible way. And so I just pray a hedge of protection over that generation, Lord. And I pray for our, my generation and the older generations that we would have hearts for these teenagers, Lord, to help guide them and disciple them and show them, show them that Jesus is real. And that we can learn from them. We can learn to get out of our comfort zones and learn to not have to have things the way they've always been but that you are alive and and in that we can be alive and we can be changed and we can move and and follow the direction that you're taking us, Lord. And so, Father, this morning, as we talk about three different types of relationships to be all in, I pray that you would impress upon each of us if we're struggling in one of the three areas that you would show us how to get better at it. And I, I pray that you would just show each one of us that when we can align these three things up, that great awakening that, that, that has experience, been experienced in our nation before, that's been experienced in our world before that there's more to come so I pray that you would pre- teach that to us this morning you would impress that upon us Lord it's in your name we pray, amen so when we talk about relationship goals when being all in and I say there's three types of relationships, we've got to start with the basic and, 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 and I talk about this a lot but you know you can't have relationship goals to be all in with, with Jesus if you don't have a relationship with God. So we're just gonna get that out of the way right off the bat. We need to have a relationship with God. First John 4.10 says, in this, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. And Acts 17.27 says they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each of us. We are to have a relationship with God. If, if we don't have a relationship with God and we come and we come to, to worship on a Sunday morning, we don't fully understand what is going on. Because a person that doesn't have a relationship with God cannot worship God. It, 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 because they don't know him. They don't understand him. We can't have an impact in the world for Jesus if we don't have a relationship with God. But the thing we have to realize is that relationship doesn't come from us. That relationship comes from God. God made a commitment to us. God loves us even if we haven't loved him and he wants us to know him. He loves us even if we haven't made a commitment to him. He still loves us and he's made a commitment to us. Look at what 1 John 5.13 says. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. God makes a commitment to us that if we believe in him that if we put our faith in him we believe that he is who he says he is and he keeps his promises and he sent his son to live a perfect sinless blameless life to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and to defeat death by rising again so that we might have eternal life that's the commitment he made to us and I don't know of a greater commitment than to sacrifice your son for someone else he made a huge commitment for us and so when we have a relationship with him we begin to understand what that commitment is i forgive um, my uh, <clears throat> when Annalise was born a long time ago because um, uh, she's getting older every day uh, when she was born I was I was holding her in the hospital room and I got a text and it was a text from my uncle and he said now you know what Jesus fe- or what God felt with Jesus I had to think about that for a few minutes because I'm like, well, I've got my kid here. you know, but, but now I fully was able to understand what that sacrifice meant at the end because I had something that was mine, something that I created. She was my daughter, and I loved her more than anything. And to, now I understood what the sacrifice meant because you don't fully understand that until you have a kid. And then when you have the kid, you gain a deeper understanding. And God made that commitment to us that He was going to sacrifice His son for you. And for me. The second thing when we talk about a relationship with God is we've got to realize that God promises to never leave us. He promises to never leave you. Hebrews 13:5, "I will never leave you nor forsake you." And then He promises us that He's forgiven us of our sins all of them, not just a handful of them, not just ones we've done in the past, but if you keep sinning, he's not going to forgive us. He forgives all of them. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 says, and you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, but God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. If if all of our sins aren't forgiven, then none of it is true. Jesus took all of our sins, past, present, and future, to the cross with him. And he forgave us through that death. So not only does God promise that he's never going to leave us, And he commits to us and he forgives us. He gives us a gift, not just the gift of eternal life, but he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit enables us to live in a way that keeps us in relationship with God. Our sins are forgiven, but that doesn't mean we never sin again, right? We can try to not sin, but we're human, and there's going to be times that we slip up. But the Holy Spirit is there to guide us. The Holy Spirit is there to challenge us, to grow us, to discipline us, to correct us, to be our conscience. Galatians 5:25 says, "If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit." And so when the Spirit is with us, when God gives us the gift of the Spirit, and we live by the Spirit, that allows us to stay in step in relationship with God. Because when we sin, that creates a separation. That creates a separation from God. And in the Old Testament when they were living under the law, the covenant of the law, and they sinned, there was a distinct, I mean, there was an actual separation. And, and, and our sins were covered by the cross. That, that remove that separation but if you're like me and you've ever found yourself starting to fall into a sin pattern you start to see that the farther and farther you fall into that sin pattern the farther and farther you feel away from God because your relationship is not there if you think about your relationship with your spouse or with your kids if you get upset with them and you don't reconcile that the drift begins to get bigger and bigger the gap gets bigger and bigger That's why it's so important to to deal with issues in in a family because if not, you'll wake up 20 years down the road and that family is shattered. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So we talk a lot about relationship with God, and we talked last week about how to get into God's word so that we can continue that relationship with God. But the next thing we need to do is because if we're, if we're going to have a relationship with God, that's, that's component one. I want you to think about this in components. Component one is that we have a relationship with God. That's the very first thing we need to do. If we're going to go in, all in with God, then we have to have that relationship with God. But the second thing we have to do is if we're going to go all in, in in this relationship with God, is that we have to have a relationship with other believers. We have to have a relationship with other believers. Acts 5.42 And they be every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that is Christ, that the Christ is Jesus. And Acts 20.20 says, How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. And what you see there is all throughout the book of Acts, you see Believers doing life, teaching, discipling, growing, whatever you want to call it, with other believers. You have to have a relationship with other believers to be all in for Jesus. That's what the local church is. That's what the local church is. When we were, um, we, this past Wednesday night was our first night of uh, our foundations class, our, uh, um, the, the, Basically a church history/slash doctrine class that we we started. If you want to join us, it's at 6 30 on Wednesday night in the fellowship hall. It's not too late. Um, we've we've put on the, the church website the notes and the video of this past Wednesday night so you can catch up. But we spent the day, the, the evening looking at the formation of the church from Jesus through uh, the the end of the book of Acts and, and uh, up, up until about AD 70. And what we saw in that is through that we see that the gospel spread because believers were with other believers. Believers were doing life together. Believers were sharpening each other. And so we want you to get connected. Because what you need, what happens when you are with, in a relationship with other believers, is that it gives you a place to connect. One of the things that the pandemic has shown, one of the things that the pandemic has magnified that was already an issue in the world is our lack of connectivity. We have the most powerful computers of our lifetime in our pocket every day. And we can connect with anybody in the world at any time, day or night, through that. I remember watching Dick Tracy when I was a kid, and he had a watch that he talked into, and that was the coolest thing, and I can say, hey, Siri, on my watch all the time, I'm Dick Tracy. It's so cool. We have more, see? Conversations with Siri. We have more ways of being connected in our world, but yet research shows that we are more disconnected than ever before. People are lacking community. People are lacking friendships. People are lacking someone just to be there with them. And what the local church provides, when you fellowship with other believers, it gives you a place to connect. It gives you a place to dive in and connect and to begin to discover those relationships. 1 Corinthians 9.22 says, Yes, whatever a person is like, I try to find common ground with him so he will let me tell him about Christ and let Christ save him that's the new living translation if you look at the the esv it says paul is saying i try to be all things to all people and that's saying he he's not saying that i change who i am change my personality i try and connect with as many people as i can because people desire connection and the church provides a place for people to connect The second thing that the church provides, should provide, we will provide at First Baptist Mason is a place for protection, a place for protection for you and your families. First John 3.16 says, we know what real love is because Christ gave up his life for us and so we also ought to give up our lives for our Christians, brothers, and sisters. But by this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. What does that mean? That means that protection comes at all costs. We want to protect each other physically, emotionally, spiritually. We're going to protect each other. That means there's a trust level that comes in. We have to trust each other, that we can be transparent and open and honest with each other. And it's not going to be shared all around town. It means that we are a safe place for people to come to deal with life's issues. You know, the cliche is that the church should not be a country club, it should be a hospital. But it's true. We should be a safe place for people to come get well. And unfortunately, our churches have not been that way. For many years and we're seeing a lot of that happen uh, throughout the nation and the world, some of these sins are coming to light whether it was physical abuse or if it was spiritual um, abuse or or, or abuse of power by by leadership, it's coming to light and I feel like God's cleaning house in some areas we are going to strive our best at First Baptist Mason to protect you protect you you as you grow as a fellow believer because we are brothers and sisters and I know that some of us um, who have brothers and sisters that we like to kind of gig them get under their skin a little bit aggravate them but deep down we want what's best for them we want them to be safe and be protected And then the third thing that provides, because when we have a place to connect and a place to protect, is it gives us a place to grow. Some of us come to church because that's what we do. We check it off the list because if we don't go to church, then, you know, we don't feel like we're living our life right. My mom would call me in college and be like, did you go to church today? Yes. And that was a great way to get her to not ask that question again. So I went to church. But that doesn't mean I was living my life for God in that moment. It doesn't mean that. I was just checking off a list. A place to grow. When we go all in for Jesus, we go all in in our life for God. We get with other believers and we fellowship with them so that we can grow. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen: iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. You can get in the word. And I mentioned this last week that you take you get to a point that you take ownership in your own faith and you you strive and and dig deep and you grow. And that's awesome. But you grow deeper and stronger and farther in your walk when you have someone else or a couple other people there sharpening you, challenging you, having discussions questioning the things that you're you're doing not in a negative way but in a way of saying is this what god is really asking you to do iron sharpens iron so should another brother sharpen another so we've got this relationship with god and we've got this relationship with believers and it leads us to a natural one which is a relationship with non-believers and I want to stop here for a second actually I want to back up for just a second no it's going to all go together it's all going to work together relationship with non-believers I want to focus on your family right now your nuclear family or your extended family but your, your relatives it is very hard to be a believer and be in a family with non-believers I don't understand that fully because the majority of my family are believers and and, and if if they're not, they're not the type that are just against it, confrontational about it. They respect, they'll discuss, we can have conversations about it. But I know for some of you it's a real struggle. They don't understand why you go to church. They don't understand what God has done in your life. And they are downright mean about it. You can't change them yourself. When we share the gospel with someone, we don't do the saving. God does the saving. We are merely messengers of the gospel. And so as a family member, what you need to do is to pray for them, to love them, be there for them, and show them the love of Jesus. Now what you're going to find is when I talk about this next part, that's going to look an awful lot like what our relationship with non-believers should be. Because even though they're family, if they're a non-believer, they're a non-believer. And if they're in your family and they don't know Jesus, no matter how much you love them and want this for them, you can't love them to heaven. Only God can take them to heaven. And you have to realize that this relationship, even though their family, is just like a relationship with a non-believer in the, in, in the outside world. And that might be really hard for some of you to hear today because you desperately desire for your family member to come to know Christ. And I pray with you that they come to know Christ. But when you have a relationship with nonbelievers, you've got to be careful. You've got to be careful. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18 tells us to do not be yoked with unbelievers. Do not be unequally yoked with Unbelievers. And many times, and I think this is perfectly accurate to do this, we look at this and say, marriage. Don't get married to someone who's not a believer. Don't date someone who's not a believer. Don't missionary date high school students. If you don't know what I mean by that, that means don't date someone who's a non-believer in the hopes that you're going to turn them into a believer because chances are they're going to take you away from God. This says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers and rightfully so. It's talking about romantic relationships, but it's also talking about your daily life. That's not romantic. Be careful who you associate with. This doesn't mean stay away from them, but don't get into deep business dealings with them. Because there's a chance that their ethics are not going to be as good as yours are. Or as moral as you are, yours are. Be careful if You travel for a living, and you are traveling with non-believers, because their lifestyle is not going to match up with what you are called to be. So we have to be careful in this, because what what fellowship has light with darkness? Light and darkness don't match, right? You go into a dark room and you turn on a light. What does it do? It lights up the room. But if you're in a really big, vast, dark area, and you turn on a little pin light, it doesn't go very far. You've got to be very, very careful that your light doesn't burn out when you do that. Because John 15, 19 tells us that the world hates us. It tells us that the world hates us because we are believers. We are set apart. We are aliens in this world, and the world hates us. How do I know? Well, let's look at what Barna Research did with the church, the local church. And they went and they asked a whole set of people, does the local church, do Christian churches, the local Christian church, have a strong community impact? Well, we always think better of ourselves than we should, right? As as people, natural. Um, And practicing Christians means they have a daily relationship. They're all in for Jesus believe that christian churches have a strong community impact to the point that 66% were very positive on that and 28% were somewhat positive. So that's a big big majority that believes that of practicing christians that believe that the christian churches have a strong community impact. Non-christians though are inclined towards indifference. 39% said that the church has no impact on the community. Or they're more willing to see harm in churches' local contributions. 8% very negative, 10% somewhat negative. So if you're looking at 18% of non-Christians believe that the church is negatively impacting and 39% don't even really care because they're just like, whatever. That means that the church is not really making a difference in the community. Because if the church is really making a difference in the community, the people are going to recognize it, regardless of where they stand, regardless of where their beliefs are. Now, they might have a negative view because it's not what they want to see happen. But they see that the churches are harming things, or they're not making a difference at all. Let's take it to the next generation, or the generation that some of you are already in, of the Christian millennials, or the millennials. Christian millennials who agree the church is the number of Christian millennials who agree that the church is irrelevant today is the same as non-Christians who hold this view. So the millennial generation, those that were born 1981 to now, basically, 50% of people believe that the church is irrelevant today. That's bad because if you look at Jesus' conversation with peter after peter looked at jesus and jesus said who do you say i am and he said you are the christ and jesus said on this rock i will build my church and he wasn't saying peter on you i'm going to build my church he was saying peter on the confession you just made on the confession that all of my believers will make when they say jesus is lord on that confession is what the church is going to be built on. And what I'm seeing all throughout is, in the world, is that the church has quit professing that. And our irrelevance is growing. Because we've forgotten to preach the gospel. We've for- forgotten to boldly proclaim Jesus. So how do, we, how do we reach these lost people? How do we get to the point... How do we get to the point where the non-believers see that when we have a relationship with God and we have a relationship with other believers, that they need to be a part of that? Well, first off, we're commanded to reach the lost. We're commanded to reach the lost. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And then he promises us, I am with you always to the end of the age. We are to go and share the gospel. We're to go and share the gospel. And there's a tension there in that commandment. There's a tension. Because in Romans 12, 2, it says do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So if we're to go and share the gospel but we have to be careful not to yoke ourselves with unbelievers do you feel that tension how do we be in the world and not of the world how do we take God plus believers and get it to where God plus believers yields non-believers and when I say that think of a chemistry equation because a mathematical equation is an equal sign but a chemistry equation, when you put one uh, chemical with another chemical, it creates, it yields a new chemical compound. And when I say God plus believers yields non believers, you might be saying, how does God, a relationship with God and a relationship with, with believers create non believers? Shouldn't it be the opposite? Yes. But what it does is when we have a relationship with God and we have a relationship with, with other believers, it increases our awareness to have a relationship with non-believers. It creates a mindset. As iron sharpens iron, we are now becoming more focused on those that don't know him, that aren't part of the body of Christ. Acts 2.47, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. The early church in Acts 2 fellowshiped together all the time. They did life together. And because of that, people were added to their number day by day. They were right in relationship with God and right in relationship with other believers. And the community saw it. And the community was impacted on it. So we need to remember a few things, and then I'm done. Remember that we are commanded to reach the lost. Just showed you that in Matthew 28 19. It is essential. The second thing, remember that Jesus had a heart for the lost. Jesus had a heart for the lost. I didn't write down my scripture reference there, but it says, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. And then we need to pray for a passion for the lost. So we need to remember that we're commanded to reach the lost, that Jesus had a heart for the lost, and we need to pray for a passion for the lost. Because if you don't pray that God would bring someone that doesn't know Jesus in front of you, there's a good chance you're not going to be aware that that person just walked by. But when you pray that God will give you a passion for the lost, you begin to see things in a different, different lens, a different way. And then you take that and you're like, well, I don't know how to lead someone to Christ. I don't know how to share the gospel or share testimony or I just don't even know where to start. Well, if you want to reach the lost and fulfill that commandment, then this is what you do. Spend time with evangelistic, mission-minded people. And this is where we come back full circle to the high school students. You wanna become mission-minded? go hang out with some high schoolers that are mission-minded. Because you can come up with an idea of a mission and talk yourself out of it because you'll start going through all the different scenarios and that way things play out. But you say to a high school student that loves Jesus, says, hey, hurricane just hit Louisiana. What if we took a weekend and we went and help do some disaster relief let's go i don't care how much it costs or what it does let's go because they're willing and they have a heart for it if you struggle with this spend time with evangelistic mission-minded people we all probably know someone that can that's very evangelistic and they share the gospel at the drop of a hat and when you're around them you're like I can go do that. Let's, let's go find somebody else for me to share the gospel with. When we're not with them, it's harder for us to do. So spend time with them. Let them pour into their lives. And in fact, Scripture gives us an example of this in Ephesians 4.11 because God gives each of us a different gift, and he says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There are people that are gifted in evangelism. There are people that are gifted in missions. And if you're not, find those people and get to know them because they will teach you and they will show you. I want to close with a couple stats for you that shows you just how important this is for Mason. A few months ago, we did a community demographic study Um, for for the 20 the 20 minute radius from first baptist mason so 20 minutes in every direction and this is the population growth trend over the past that's really small for me the past 10 years so from 2010 to 2019 do you notice anything interesting about that 2019 it shot up and if you've got your ear to the ground or you're hearing things around town you realize that there is some growth that is coming to mason it's already in the works when how big that's to be determined but there are new people that are coming to mason and we need to be prepared for that we need to be prepared for the harvest and that's where getting into the connection of the local church helps us this is another stat and you've heard me say this before the population in that 20-minute radius, and this was done a couple of months ago, so it could have changed by now, is 3,486 people. 3,486 people. Out of that, we estimated, and I recognize that this is probably on the very high end of an estimation, that on any given Sunday morning, there's 800 people that go to church in that 20-minute radius. As I thought about it more, I would probably back that down maybe to 600, I don't know. But, but I felt 800 was probably a, a safe estimate when we, when we talked about that. Which leaves us the potential to reach 2,686 people just within 20 minutes of our church. 2,686 people. It's 2,686 people that, that are souls to be harvested for Jesus. So when we have our relationship with God in order and we have our relationship with other believers in order and we are unified because unity is more important than anything other than the gospel is the unity of believers. The gospel's first but when they see us not get along they don't want to be a part of that. And it's pained me this week and I will get more into detail in this at a later time when I feel more comfortable sharing it. But it's pained me to watch the disunity in the Southern Baptist Convention this week. Not because of, it pains me for the reason that they are disunified. But it really pains me because it says Baptist in Southern Baptist Convention. And we have people in our town that tell me I need to find a church, but I could never go to the Baptist church. And they look and they see that in the news and like, see, that's why I don't go to the Baptist church. They can't get along and they can't get along over basic moral issues. Like I said, when I have more time, I'll dive deeper into that later. We have to be unified. We have to be strong in our relationship with God. We have to be strong in our relationship with other believers. And some times, oftentimes, most times, all the time, set aside our doctrinal theological differences with the churches that are in town and be unified. If they're preaching Jesus, we preach Jesus right there alongside them so that we can yield relationships to new, to non-believers, people that need to know Jesus. So I wanna give you an action step as I close. If you're desiring that connection, at ten thirty or 9.30 next Sunday morning is our new Life Connection group time. If you've not come to a Life Connection group, we've got several that meet in the, the church house, some in the fellowship hall, um, and, and hopefully in the next few weeks we'll be starting a couple new ones as well. If you've not come, next week is a great time because everybody's going to show up at 9.30 for the first time, and so they're not going to say, why are you here so early, or or whatever, in fact, you can get here with the majority of them, and those that are late, you can join in on making fun of them for being late. Be here at 9.30 next Sunday morning, and be part of a life connection group, because that's the real in, entry point into getting connected with other believers here. But if you're to that point, you, you've got some relationships built here, you've been going to a life connection group, and you're just ready to get really, really deep. And I mentioned these last week, and I want to mention them one more time again, and then you probably won't hear me say much about them again after today. Get into a discipleship group. A discipleship group is a is a group of three to four men or three to four women that meet once every week, week and a half, and grow together, iron sharpening iron. If you've got three, two to three people that you already know, you want to join together with that, talk to them and grab that and, and and make that happen and and let me know and I I will I can get you the. The resources that we're using um, in the various discipleship groups that are already going on. Because it lays it out and it's really, really good and very easy. And I'll get that to you guys. But if you're sitting there going, I don't even know where to start, to find one of those, but I really think that would help my walk with Christ. Help me grow. Help me be all in. Then this is what I want you to do. I want you to text D group to 833-621-2435. D group to 833-621-2435. And what we will do is we'll gather that information and then we will start to connect you with other people who are feeling that same call on their life to be in a discipleship group. And it's not easy. It's a commitment. It's a year-long commitment that you have to say, I'll be there for time, I'll do my homework, and I won't say a word outside of of that group. What happens in D group stays in D group. It's a commitment, but so is going all in for Jesus. And I encourage you to do that. Let's pray. Father, um, I encourage those that are in this room that if they're struggling in their relationship with you, whether it be consistency, whether it be disappointment or anger, because things have happened in their life or that they've just never known you before, Lord. I encourage, I I just ask, I plead of you to reveal yourself to them in this moment, to love them, to show them that you're there, that that promise that you will never leave us nor forsake us and you're committed to us is true.